Welcome to the podcast of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming and progressive Unitarian Universalist congregation, deeply committed to love and justice. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on freedom. I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on freedom. I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on freedom. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. It's the time of year when so many of us make resolutions. We vow to change things, usually about ourselves, because a new year is a new beginning. People vow to stop staring at their phones so much, to give more, to eat more healthy foods and exercise more, to floss every day, to practice gratitude, to read more or to learn something new. Keeping a resolution though is really hard. Most people who make a resolution don't last the whole year. Most people quit working on their resolutions by February, but I want to tell you about someone who kept her resolution, even though it was really hard, really scary, and really dangerous. She, when she was born, her name was Araminta Ross, and her family called her Minty, but we know her as Harriet Tubman. She is my favorite person in American history. She was enslaved, which meant that she belonged to people who could make her do whatever they wanted and who could hurt her if they chose to, or even kill her. When she found out her owners were planning to sell her, she made a resolution to be free, which was a huge goal. Enslaved people could not just leave or go anywhere they wanted. And if they were caught trying to escape, they would be hurt and brought back to their owners and severely punished. And enslaved people couldn't buy a train ticket or get on a bus or catch a ride in someone's car and take an easy ride to freedom. They had to walk hundreds of miles and hide because people were always trying to catch them and take them back. But when Harriet decided to run away, she left with her brothers, but they got scared and went back. She left in the middle of the night and began walking, following what they called the drinking gourd and they had all these songs to help them navigate their way to freedom. Uh, there's a drinking gourd song that goes, follow the drinking gourd, follow the drinking gourd, for the old woman's waiting to carry you to freedom. Follow the drinking gourd. Now that song is probably not a song that she may have sung to herself, because it's kind of about her. <laughs> um, but she she walked and she walked and she walked and she didn't do it by herself. She had a lot of help from a lot of people. Like I said, there were songs that she sung, but there were also songs that people near her would sing if they knew enslaved people were on the run to freedom and there were slave catchers nearby. The people on the run might hear 
people singing, wait in the water, wait in the water, children, wait in the water. God's gonna trouble the water. And that was a message for the enslaved person who was running to their freedom to get into some water really quick, a stream, a lake, a river, because the slave catchers had dogs. And if the enslaved person was in water, the dogs couldn't smell them. And that would lead the slave catchers off of their trail. So like I said, she got a lot of help from people who were around her in fields who knew she was escaping, who would send her messages through song. People gave her rides in horse-drawn carts and people hid her in secret places in their homes and in their churches. And with all of that help, she made it to freedom. She reached her goal. She kept her resolution, but Instead of stopping and being satisfied, she snuck back down south and helped more enslaved people escape over and over and over again. She walked her whole family out of slavery. Harriet Tubman has so many obstacles. She was black. She was a woman. She couldn't read or write. She had narcolepsy, which means that she would suddenly and without any warning, warning and for no apparent reason, just <sighs> fall asleep instantly. And still, she managed to escape. She also helped in the Civil War. She was a nurse and a spy and a soldier. And she did so many things for so many other people. After she, after the Civil War, after the Declaration of Independence, she opened up a home for elderly people to be cared for, people of color. She was able to accomplish each goal that she set. And then she set a new bigger goal that she accomplished as well. She did so much for black liberation before we were calling it black liberation. And we are all still working for black liberation. But Harriet Tubman has shown us that we all have the ability to reach our goals, no matter how big they are and no matter how small we are. As we make our resolutions, let's be inspired by those who are able to accomplish amazing things and know that we can too, if we don't stop and if we don't give up. The day gonna come when I won't march no more. The day gonna come when we won't march no more. But while my sister ain't equal and my brother can't breathe, hand in hand with my people, we will fill these streets. Continue on with your resolutions. Next, you're going to be hearing Aaron Chagru singing Voice Still and Small. still and small, deep inside all, I hear you call, singing. Through storm and rain, sorrow and pain, still we Still and small, 
So 2,000 pieces. 2,000 pieces. That's what was in front of me. 2,000 pieces in a large box that would eventually become a three-foot by four-foot puzzle. A thousand pieces is usually my limit, and I usually have a lot of support and help when I start on that endeavor of putting together a thousand piece puzzle. But here I was alone with 2000 pieces sifting through the box because there wasn't enough space on the table to put all the pieces out. There's a little bit of backstory here. Um, we had quarantined at our home in Minneapolis. And after a couple of weeks of kind of quarantining, we drove out to North Carolina to visit family. And my mother-in-law gave our two boys this 2,000 piece puzzle as an early Christmas gift. Our boys took one look at this beast of a puzzle and then they uh, kind of walked away and handed the reins over to me. So I gave it a shot. And I'll be honest, this monster puzzle felt impossible. It really did, just sifting through the pieces over and over and finally getting the edge. And then finally, I began to find a way forward. I would pick a section <clears throat> of the puzzle based on what I could see it would ultimately look like. And I would just focus my attention there. I would just take dark green pieces that were one of the trees uh, in, in the forest section of the puzzle. Or I would take these very light, snowy landscape pieces for the snowscape part of the puzzle and I would just slowly build those sections out. It took days and I was stunned at how badly I misjudged where certain pieces belonged. Maybe you've had this experience, you're quite certain that the pile you're making uh, over here or the piece that you've jammed in actually does go there. The, the fit's not quite right, but that's a mistake with the puzzle, not with you or your understanding of the puzzle. So as the puzzle went on, I became more and more aware of how badly I had um, misinterpreted uh, some of the pieces and where they belonged. But finally, 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 that final piece went in and I reflected on this 2000 piece journey and what I thought I knew when I began and what I had learned over the process of putting this puzzle together. And there was a lot it kind of activated my minister mind, this puzzle. And so this might seem like a really strange way to begin a sermon as we move into this new year, 2021 together. But my minister's heart feels quite certain that this giant 2000 piece puzzle captures something important as we leave 2020 and enter 2021. So bear with me this morning, hold that beautiful prayer from Julica and the story from Amy as I play, as we play with puzzle imagery, as we play with the different puzzles and other pieces in our lives. These other pieces, our lives themselves, our communities, our church, our values, the systems and the structures around us that are a part of us as we try in 2021 to take these different pieces and put together some kind of new picture, a new vision, of how things might be. And much of my inspiration for today's message comes from that story that Amy shared about Harriet Tubman and the way that Tubman navigated and moved the different pieces of her life. Tubman was resolute. She knew that the picture she was trying to create was black liberation and black freedom. The complete puzzle, when it was all put together in her mind, looked like Black people no longer enslaved, Black people who were free, Black people whose lives and humanity and being and existence was seen and recognized and valued. 
And Tubman kept building toward that again and again, despite the risks, despite the hounds, despite the challenges she faced again and again, that vision, that picture, the pieces kept being arranged to make that picture real. She deftly navigated and undermined white supremacy and slaveholders as she worked this puzzle. She was so skilled that Tubman was called the Black Moses of her time because again and again, she brought her people out of bondage and slavery into freedom. Every effort of her life was a piece that helped create this larger vision of liberation. Last Wednesday night, the Minneapolis Police Department killed Dalal Eid, a 23-year-old Somali man, a son, a brother, a friend, a complex human being like we all are. They killed him at a gas station at 36th and Cedar, just a mile from where George Floyd was killed seven months ago. On Thursday in our church newsletter, we shared a note and a video response to this killing. And that night, Julika helped hold space for black and indigenous and people of color congregants to gather and to pray and to just be with one another to process what had happened. We know that many, many people in our community and congregation are carrying pain and trauma from the killing of George Floyd and from the decades worth of police violence and brutality, only a tiny fraction of which has been captured on film. We know that there is a very raw wound in our community right now. So let us pause to lament for a moment. To the black people in this community, our community, in this wider community, I say, I am sorry. I am sad and so sorry that you are yet again dealing with the impact of a system set up from its inception to police and monitor and surveil your bodies and your communities. I am sorry for the impact that this most recent event has on you and your families. We are here for you. We are with you. Your ministers are ready to support you pastorally or in whatever ways you might need. And we are ready to continue the organizing work to build the beloved community in which the safety of all our communities does not need to rely on police or prisons. Black lives matter. And we will continue to live into that together. And I also want to name this morning that other folks of color, indigenous peoples whose lands were taken, were stolen. Immigrants whose presence is challenged and questioned and people of many different ethnicities who are constantly made to feel unwelcome, you too are impacted by police brutality and by the prison industrial complex system and detention centers. And I can imagine that this most recent shooting impacts the sense of safety that you have in this community. This most recent killing is but one puzzle piece in a much larger puzzle that contains the history of policing the ways that black and brown and indigenous bodies have borne the brunt of police violence and surveillance and harassment. So we hold our black, indigenous and people of color beloveds in special care this morning and in the days to come. And if we, 
and I'm speaking to the white folks now, if we just look at this particular puzzle piece of what happened on Wednesday, that singular piece, and we think, well, the police did nothing wrong. Dalal Eid fired his weapon first, then we are missing the larger picture in which this puzzle piece rests. Church member Denise Conan has put together a document for white allies who want to understand this larger picture and who are asking, what can I do? What is an appropriate response? How can I help? This document is available to you as a link in the virtual order of service. I want to thank Denise for putting this together. As she says in this document, in the next days and weeks, you will hear what is wrong with Dalal Eid and why his killing was necessary. We have all been indoctrinated in the legacy of enslavement and colonization that works to convince us that some people, criminals, black folks, indigenous people, immigrants, are less human than others, and they deserve what they get. They deserve to be treated as less than. This is the way that white supremacy distracts us, Denise goes on to say, and it pits us against one another. We need to interrogate the myths that have shaped us and learn from those who have been most harmed by these false narratives. If we are to stop and repair the suffering and make the changes needed, those of us who are white must not look away from the pain that black and brown people and indigenous people are experiencing. And we must begin to tell a more honest story. That's the end of the quote from Denise. The more honest story of policing, the real picture with all the pieces, or many of the pieces, it includes remembering Philando Castile and Jamar Clark and Breonna Taylor and Tamir Rice and Michael Brown. Stretching back even further, it includes remembering Black Panther leader Fred Hampton, shot to death by police in his apartment, Medgar Evers, countless others killed in the civil rights struggle, the voting rights struggle. It includes John Lewis and those brutalized and beaten by police and others as they fought for their rights and dignity. These are all pieces in the larger puzzle of how policing disproportionately targets and brutalizes black and indigenous and people of color. And it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. This system of policing, this system of racial, racial hierarchies, it was created, it was made, it was invented, it has been fabricated out of power, a desire to extract resources and maintain power over others. It doesn't have to stay this way. It doesn't have to be this way. We have to imagine, as people of faith particularly, we have to imagine a world where Dalal Eid doesn't die and a hail of bullets. There have to be other ways to police and respond to issues and keep a community safe. We have to imagine a world where a person of color isn't two and a half times as likely to die at the hands of the police than a white person is. We have to remember and check ourselves when we think this is just how it is, that there are plenty of armed white folks who threaten police and even shoot at police, even injure police, and then are taken into custody without being harmed. There's another way that things could be. There is a dream, there is a vision, there is a picture that gets planted in the human heart 
again and again. And it gets planted there because every religious tradition, every spirit set of spiritual teachings that have not been distorted by extremism or fundamentalism or narrow dogma, all of the world's religious teachings and spiritual teachings, not corrupted by extremism or fundamentalism or dogma, they invite its adherents to see the larger picture. They invite us to see the whole of the cloth, to understand what is possible as far as collective human thriving. These various religious traditions invite us to choose life, to choose love, to recognize the underlying unity that connects us all and to work from that knowing. And so when we lift our eyes up to the bigger picture, to that vision of liberation, not just personal liberation and personal freedom, like I wear my mask or I won't wear my mask. That is a distortion of what freedom and liberation is, but collective liberation and collective freedom for all. When we lift our eyes to that view and start to imagine how everyone can thrive, then we start to see there are pieces of the puzzle that we need to disassemble that we have misplaced, that we have completely misunderstood what that section of the puzzle was about and we need to move it and rearrange it so that we can create this life-giving picture, this life-giving reality for all of us. In that document for white allies that Denise put together, she points to one of these pieces of how we can begin to create this new vision or new understanding or just come into a new sense of what's possible. She is inviting us and the church is inviting you into a deep dive into what exactly black leaders and other folks of color mean when they talk about police abolition and defunding the police. In the next couple of weeks and months at First Universalist, there will be several opportunities to register for five week circles to deepen our collective understanding of what real community safety might look like to understand what black leaders and other leaders of color have been thinking about and saying for decades about ways to make communities safe and end police brutality and even end the prison industrial pipeline complex. We will be offering these opportunities in caucus spaces because we recognize that there is a conversation among black folks and other people of color that is different than the one that white folks need to have as we talk about defunding or abolishing or reimagining community safety. And we need to have these conversations so we are able to move forward as a faith community, clear in our shared values and our commitment to practice what we preach when we say that this is a community that works toward racial justice. And so to the white folks in this congregation, I ask that no matter what your beliefs about the police and the criminal justice system, that you would register for one of these circles, these reflection circles, and you might come into that space with curiosity and an open heart, ready to really listen and to learn how policing impacts Black and other marginalized people and how we can support the health and the safety and resiliency of all people in our community. There's more information in that virtual order of service about these circles and everything I've just said you can find in that than that link in that virtual order of service. This is just one piece of the vision of the world that we might help to build. There are other pieces that can contribute to the dream of collective liberation, to this vision of a world free of oppression and free of state violence. 
Once we start to look at the vision of liberation and thriving for all, and listen to the voices of those most impacted by the current injustices, then we can start to see the changes that must be made, particularly in policing, but also in healthcare, in housing, in worker protection, in environmental protection, in voting rights. It is all connected as we see the larger picture of liberation. And so each of our lives, this is this invitation. This is the invitation as we move into 2021. Each of our lives is a piece in that puzzle of helping to create this larger vision of a more just world. And friends, it won't get built in 2021. It will not all magically change in 2021. There are too many structures and pieces to change and rebuild and disassemble and discard and new things to erect in their place. There's too much work to be done, but that doesn't mean that we can't do the right thing right now. It doesn't mean we can't take the next right move and the next right step. With fierce resolve, guided by our faith, we can take those next right moves. So this is no ordinary New Year's resolution, really. It is a spiritually grounded, it is a life-giving resolution because, friends, our salvation, our wholeness, our healing, our own well-being is tied up in the well-being of those around us. We are in this web connected together. We saw it over this last year, the growing income disparities, the wealth disparities, as the millionaires became multi, multi-billionaires and triple, I don't even know what's beyond, trillionaires. It's, it's ridiculous and no one can thrive when so few people have so many resources. So this is no ordinary New Year's resolution. This is a resolution to work for liberation for all. It won't happen this year. Don't be overwhelmed by the task. Don't put your head down and think I'm not talking to you because you have a role to play in this. Don't be overwhelmed. Take a breath, connect with your deepest knowing, your deepest sense of what kind of world you want for your children and for all children, and then find that next thing to do. I'm inspired particularly by the words of a colleague of mine, the Reverend Teresa Inez Soto. She reminds us in her poem that the world makes many demands on your time, your skin, your heart. It makes many demands until you are left gasping and wondering if you will ever do enough, have enough, be enough. Stop your counting, she says. Stop your counting and measuring and checking. You are enough. And to recover from the doubt pressed upon you, the antidote for doubt is dreaming. All the dreams that call to you, lime green and frosting pink dreams, the other soft and tender dreams that run blue to gray, sky indistinguishable from lulling sea, the dreams that seem impossible. Listen, that's their nature. If they had already happened, then they would be realities, solid and smooth, like the round bone home of an unbroken egg. Be brave enough to name your dream, nurture it, 
and allow the rhythm of your breath to bring your dreams to life. Piece by piece, breath by breath, dream by dream, we can arrange the pieces of this life into something new, something just, something breathtakingly beautiful and life-giving. May it be so, and amen, and blessed be. Thank you for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming community that finds strength in the diversity of identities of all who find inspiration and comfort here. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text FIRSTUNIV, that's F-I-R-S-T-U-N-I-V, to 73256 to make your gift. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.